0: Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast that covers films of the 1980s. It is called Around the World in 80s Movies, and you can find a link to that at my website, Quipster.net. Today, I'm going to be looking at a film that has gotten... much rave critical reviews all across the board it's called ford v ferrari or ford versus ferrari if you prefer i'm not sure why it's called ford v ferrari since it's not a court case but you know maybe that's just what we call things nowadays in other parts of the world it's called le mans 66 and it is a pg-13 rated film it does have some language and peril in it The runtime is 2 hours and 32 minutes. The main stars are Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Katrina Balfe, Tracy Letts, John Lucas, John Bernthal, Noah Jupe, and Ray McKinnon are also in the film. James Mangold is the director. The screenplay credited to Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth, and Jason Keller. Now, James Mangold... He really, if you followed his career, he does a lot of character-driven dramas, in addition to, I guess more recently, The Wolverine and Logan. But this is getting back to those character dramas. Ford v. Ferrari, it's a true story. It had been kicked around in Hollywood as a possible motion picture for decades before it actually was made here. Mangold was particularly keen to see it come to life. He had first heard of it back in 2011, but he put it aside. He ended up doing... The Wolverine, and that led to attempts by other filmmakers, Michael Mann, Joseph Kosinski. There were stars that were attached to it at one time or another. Back in 2009, Brad Pitt wanted to star in it, Tom Cruise in 2013. Mangold ended up looking for it when he was done with Logan. He ended up scooping it up back in 2017 because he wanted to distance himself from filmmaking that was based on someone else's pre-established intellectual property for his next feature. The problem would be, trying to find a studio that was going to fund a car racing movie that is not an over-the-top actioner like the Fast and Furious films. 20th Century Fox was in the middle of being acquired by Disney. That may have been what made them make a fairly bold decision here bolder than customary, to fund a film that ended up costing just short of $100 million in budget. James Mangold set to work from this script that was written for Michael Mann's failed attempt to bring it to life in 2011. That was by Jez and John Henry Butterworth. That script was itself a streamlining of Jason Keller's version from 2009. That version split the story between Ford and Ferrari's team equally, but the Butterworth script incorporated elements including the name, of the 2010 book called Go Like Hell, that was going to be the name of the movie, Go Like Hell, Ford, Ferrari, and their battle for speed and glory at Le Mans by A.J. Bame. The Butterworths knew that there were probably too many people to split the time between Ferrari and Ford. They wanted in this era to make it much more economically, so they ended up concentrating just on the Ford side of things in money and in runtime. Mangold came into it in 2017 and he wanted a little bit more streamlined than that. He wanted to make a film about two of the main characters and their friendship specifically and that would lead up to one of the Le Mans races as the base of the story instead of this very sprawling right stuff type epic that focused on every person involved over many years. Now most of Ford versus Ferrari surrounds the events leading up to France's illustrious 24 hours of Le Mans auto racing event and mostly glosses over Ford's losses in 1964 and 1965 as roads poorly chosen by them. So we end up starting with Carroll Shelby, played by Matt Damon. He's a former elite race car driver, the first American driver to win at Le Mans, who retires into designing race cars. And he also coaches the next generation of elite racers after he finds out he has heart disease. He's considered a maverick by many of his contemporaries. His services were sought after when the Ford Motor Company, who were attempting to brand their vehicles to young people who want more stylishness and sex appeal in the cars that they buy, Ford planned to acquire the financially struggling Ferrari back in 1963. Those plans ended up falling through spectacularly, leaving both sides feeling insulted. Ford ended up wanting to show up Ferrari and the world that they are more than just a company that can mass-produce family vehicles. Shelby was hired on to build what would come to be known as the Ford GT40 model, trying to maximize power and minimize weight and drag to be the fastest race car on Earth, at least in the racing circuit anyway. Now, thinning himself way down after plumping himself up to play Dick Cheney in Vice, Christian Bale here He worked with James Mangold on the remake of the Western 310 to Yuma. That was back in 2007. Here he is playing British race car driver Ken Miles. Miles is sought here by Shelby to test out his designs to give the Ford company a chance to come out on top in this grudge match with Ferrari. Miles is skilled at what he does, but Henry Ford II, Henry Ford Jr., wants him replaced by someone less of a loose cannon and who is willing to tow the Ford line to the media. Ken's wife Molly, played by Katrina Balfe and his son, Peter, played by Noah Jupe, feel ambivalence about his quest to be the best. They want him to bring home the bacon, to be sure, but they're also afraid that he'll be another casualty in the car racing arena who doesn't get out of his car in time. Shelby has to weigh his friendship and knowledge that Miles is the best shot to actually win with the needs of his funders, but they want to promote their brand, and they feel that Miles is just not the man to do it. Now, at over two and a half hours, Ford v. Ferrari is a long film, Just right for some, maybe too long for others, but the instances I think where it drags are very few. Mangold's first cut of the film did run over four hours in length. He knew that would have to be cut. His best edit of everything that he wanted to capture, he winded it down to three hours and 15 minutes. And that was still too long for a commercial entertainment release that cost nearly $100 million to make. So two hours would cut too much, so he split the difference by making the best two-and-a-half-hour film that he could. And by best, though, he means a film that will satisfy most audiences, of which isn't necessarily gearheads. He felt that the gearheads would want a lot of technical information and a lot of historical reenactments that really don't lend well to crafting a commercially successful product for theaters. If you look under the hood... This is a crowd-pleasing effort. It's meant to leave most customers satisfied with their purchase. It's not striving to be the perfect vehicle that will drive the company that produced it to its knees. It is definitely meant to make some money. Now, to save money on taxes and moving equipment around, much of the locale work for the track racing took place in a couple of states, Georgia, with some specific shots like the grandstand that was done in Agua Dulce, California. The state of California expanded the tax production credit back in 2018. That made it much more lucrative to make films. In the state, there was a five-year extension just during the filmmaking to lure back the industry for a longer term. They had to piece together races that took place in different locales at different times a day under a variety of weather conditions. That was a real challenge to edit all together, but it does end up seeming seamless in the final product for most viewers who are not going to be complete nitpickers as to time and place. On top of all this, all of the cars do carry very distinct sounds and sound sometimes that is different performing at different speeds and performing different maneuvers whether you're at ground zero inside the car or in the pit or on television so it was a real masterwork of getting all of the car sounds right you couple all of that fantastic sound design with the stellar cinematography here and some very skillful editing and you will see that this is a very well-oiled machine running both on the screen and off although this is a sports movie I think this is a story that doesn't easily conform to a traditional genre mold. It does develop the Ford team as the underdogs to a certain extent compared to Ferrari, but there really isn't that emphasis on winning and losing for the main protagonist so much as trying to challenge themselves to be the best at everything that they do. Ferrari here is kind of the antagonist, but not so much. They're really more of a challenger that they have to overcome to be winners. The real heavies of the film come from within Ford itself, embodied in Leo Beebe, who is a a real-life person. He was Ford's micromanaging senior vice president. He seems to be trying to undermine the Maverick style of Shelby to try to get him to conform to the corporate vision that he feels is necessary to the company's ultimate goal of selling more cars. The film could just have readily been called perfection versus profit to show the tug of war for what people should be striving to achieve when they pour all of their time or their energy and their resources into whatever they're trying to do. Mangold and his screenwriters really do bring a softer and quieter side to this potentially macho story. They showcase the home life of Ken Miles with his wife and young son. You know, a filmmaker with less clout might have left out all of that domestic drama and concentrated solely on the business side of the corporate dealings to try to break up the -the on-the-track action, but Mangold knows that we have to care more about the individual people, so our caring for Ken Miles himself and his family— makes his scenes go from, you know, exciting but to real nail biters because we have stakes in the well-being of this man under the helmet. And for that, we're willing to indulge in some of the excess in the story for the sake of making this a smooth ride. Even as the vehicle slows down in the post-race finale to try to sell the movie as an emotional drama much more so than one that's interested in sporting history. Still, I think all would be for naught without these actors to round out these characters that we need investment into as something more than just a cleanly drawn archetype. Matt Damon here, he was influenced to take this role because he wanted to work with Mangold and specifically Christian Bale. He does very well in centering the film with intelligence and grit. Even though we don't get enough background on Carroll Shelby to honestly know what makes him really tick, the fact is that many who knew him considered him kind of a, an enigma, so I guess that's kind of fitting, he's caught between conflicting interests here as a salesman and as somebody who genuinely cared about making his car designs the best possible. Christian Bale here, he's the heart of the film. His scenes with his family do manage to pay off in making Miles a bit of a folk hero, where they're rooting on as he drives everyone up the wall to achieve on-the-track perfection. I don't think enough kudos are really going with these big, high-profile actors. To Tracy Lett, who plays Henry, the deuce, Ford, he provides just the right counterweight to give the impression of power, while also feeling like he might be in a little bit over his head in running the top automobile company in the world at that time. Katrina Balfe, she delivers the spunky appeal in her role as the adoring and supportive wife. And Noah Jupe does a great job as the wide-eyed young son. Their roles feel a little bit manufactured compared to the rest from a Hollywood assembly line to broaden the film's sell-through, but it does work. Ford vs. Ferrari is a film about racing, but it's also, in its way, about cinema itself. James Mangold is not a racing fan, or at least he wasn't before going into this project. And he didn't know the full story before he took it on, but he did deliver some insight by making this drama on the screen very similar to what he probably has to deal with off the screen as a director. In the world of racing, some people do it for love, and others do things for publicity and money. In the filmmaking process, it's pretty much the same. Mangold here, he wants to make the best movie that he can, while he's also pleasing those who have put up the money to sell the picture to earn as much money and prestige as possible for their studio and their brand. Now, Mangold may not know as much about racing, but I'm sure he identified with the plights of the automobile purists like Ken Miles and Enzo Ferrari, who are figures who strove for perfection at the cost of financial security. The Ford Motor Company is very much run like a major Hollywood studio. They want sales above all else, but also to show that they can make something of exceptional quality once in a while, and that's going to further increase the appeal of their brand. Carroll Shelby, he was known to be a bit of a storyteller in real life. He's kind of like the director, like Mangold. He has to take into account the perspective of those who are actually putting the money, millions of dollars, for them to succeed, but he also has to tread the line for those who are in his care, who are in the business for the love of it. Now, Historians may come out quibbling at some of the liberties taken by Hollywood here. Henry Ford II never really got into a car, and he didn't get scared out of his wits by Carroll Shelby. Shelby never really bet his entire company on the outcome of a particular race. Miles and Shelby's disagreements never devolved into wrench-throwing or fist fights, and Enzo Ferrari was not even in attendance at Le Mans in 1966. So documentary recreations is really not what Ford v. Ferrari is about, which is to bend whatever facts are necessary to make audiences feel something, to laugh, to cry, to cheer, to applaud at all of the appropriate times and to come out feeling it was time and money well spent. That's what Mangold is set out to achieve, and I do think he gets the film right where it should count, making a very highly propulsive and dramatically intense racing film. Part of this is due to nailing down these characters and their characterizations, their motivations, their stakes, emotional stakes up our interest in seeing what happens out on the racetrack too, and the racing scenes themselves are stylish without growing too stylized to distract from the drama and we get the emotion here from several vantage points. We're inside the car with Ken Miles, we're in the pit, we're in the spectator's box, and we're in with Miles' anxious family, listening or viewing the race back home along with them. Now, Ford v. Ferrari is not a high-precision race car as a movie, however. It's not something made for the purists who will never really love anything less than perfection, but what perfect is will vary in the minds of every purist, so you can't really please all of the people all of the time. It's a lot like the Ford Mustang, which gets featured in the film. It's not the best car that could ever be made, but it is the best car that they could make that many people would want. This is a vehicle meant to sell to those who are not looking for perfection, but in an enjoyable experience. Not a documentary. It's a story to get us out of the ride feeling exhilarated and a film made both to please those putting up the money for it in the studio and at the box office. So in that regard, it's a success, even if purists like the racing experts and historians who winced at just about everything the film might get wrong will not find the perfection that they expect from their racing entertainment. So as long as you're not nitpicky, I think that Ford v. Ferrari is an entertaining film all the way through, even at two and a half hours, and one I will recommend at three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars on my scale means that I do think that this is a good film and definitely worth going out of your way to see if this material at all sounds of appeal to you thanks everyone for listening I hope that you enjoyed this review if you have your own thoughts on Ford v Ferrari that you want to impart you can write to me you can find my contact information on my website that's at quipster.net q-w-i-p-s-t-e-r.net you can also find links to my Twitter feed my Facebook page my Instagram or just my email check that all out at quipster.net until next time thanks everyone for listening and please enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies